0: Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter, I'm Ashraf Engineer. Over the past few years, digital transactions have grown exponentially. They are easy, they are convenient. For instance, the Bharat Interface for Money Unified Payments Interface, better known as BHIM UPI, but also the Immediate Payment Service or IMPS and the Prepaid Payment Instruments or PPI. So you have a framework for person-to-person as well as merchant payments in addition to debit cards, credit cards, National Electronic Funds Transfer or NEFT and Real-Time Gross Settlement or RTGS. However, it's the UPI that's on fire and is emerging as the preferred mode of payment for everyone, from teenagers splitting a restaurant bill to rickshaw drivers and vegetable vendors. Payments through UPI accounted for more than half of all digital transactions in India in FY 2021-22, 20, accounting for 52% of the 8,840 crore digital transactions with a value of rupees 126 lakh crore, according to this year's pre-budget economic survey. In FY 2018 19, UPI accounted for only 17% of India's 3,100 crore digital transactions. Let's talk about how UPI has changed financial transactions and, by extension, the larger economy. All Indians matter. We have on the show Rohit Taneja, an IIT graduate who founded Decentro to help businesses reduce financial integration time. He co-founded his first venture, MyPoolin, in 2015. It was one of India's first social payments platforms and a payments infrastructure provider. MyPoolin was acquired by California-based global payments player Vibmo in 2017, which in turn was acquired by NASPERS-backed PayU in 2019. Welcome, Rohit. Hi, hi
1: Ashraf. Hi, everyone. Good to be on
0: the show. <laughs> Rohit, tell us first about how the UPI was conceived and born. Who built it? Why? And when did it launch? Sure, sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, actually. <laughs> Let me start by NPCI first. I think uh, a lot of people are not familiar with NPCI, or rather, what NPCI is you know, as a company. Interestingly, a lot of NPCI is a government organization. It's actually not a government organization. Uh, of course, it gets a lot of support from the government, but that's not really uh, how it functions. It's actually a for-profit company, you know, founded by the banks so or rather with banks as the key stakeholders in the organization itself. And this a special section under which it has been formed, uh, you know, as a for-profit organization. Now, NPCA has been the infrastructure builder for a lot of the financial technology in the country. And so, if you look at probably the oldest one being NEFT, RTGS, right, and then of course, INPS, which was the flagship product uh, launched somewhere in the mid. 2010s, which eventually led to UPI. Now, since UPI and IMPS come from NPCI, NPCI itself has, I would say, a lot of control on how this product gets delivered, who can access, who cannot access, right, a lot of that stuff. From a building perspective, it actually came around. I would say the concept came around somewhere around 2014, 15, which is actually interestingly when I had just started my cooling as well. Uh, coincidentally, we were able to get in touch with some of the right stakeholders in iSpirit, which were actually thinking about it. So, we were able to get, uh, I would say, a first view of, okay, this is how the future can look like. And um, so, it came from a think tank, I would say, a think tank which eventually guided NPCI, saying, okay, this is how you, know, you can build UPI on top of INPS, uh, which is also, by the way, something which a lot of people don't know. UPI is just an abstraction on top of INPS. Like, it's the same protocol, just a different layer on top. Uh, which is why it was so easy for NpCI or easier not so easy, but definitely easier for NpCI to you know, launch it up So anyway, that was the first step and then eventually of course NpCI took the flagship they went ahead with the design implementation and then of course a couple of organizations have been very supportive uh, you know and the early torchbearers bearers in terms of building like uh, just pay for example uh, helped a lot in the early UPI development you know, they also built out the big UPI app which came out in the market. Yeah, so I think uh, I would say these three, four organizations combined together the Think Tank, NPCI and then the private organizations like Justbit. Yeah, that's how the LBP consumed, conceived and you know, built out yeah, over a couple yeah. of
0: years. So. just for the sake, uh, for the benefit of listeners, I just wanted to inform that when you say NPCI is the National Payments Corporation of India. Yeah. Yeah. right. And uh, uh, what are the benefits, I mean at a more fundamental level, Rohit, mm-hmm. what are the benefits of digitization of financial transactions for the Indian economy specifically? Sure. Sure, absolutely.
1: I think uh, quite a lot of them, right? I think the first, the first one is of course just financial inclusion, right? I mean, you look at the kind of transactions that are happening on UPI. Um, literally, every micro transaction has become possible on UPI. Right? So People are able to pay five rupees, ten rupees for chai, right? And those kind of things. And it's it's obviously one one aspect is just replacing, say, the cash transaction with UPI. But the second is also increasing the velocity of these transactions, like. Uh, if you look at a lot of transactions get dropped or get failed purely because there is no payment mode, right, at that particular point, point. For example, if you don't have cash, uh, you will not be able to buy that tea, right, cup of tea. But what will happen is you'll probably give up on that purchase and then move forward, right, mid-journey. Um, but now when you pay, there's no excuse, right? So what ends up happening is your velocity and purchase have become so simple that you end up spending more, right, which is good for the Bitcoin. So, um, that's one of the, major side benefits that upi has in the overall it's like just accelerating the velocity and increasing the overall quantum of your daily transactions which obviously is somebody else's you know income in the ecosystem and of course there are public numbers you know on rbi's website but i think the growth has been stupendous in terms of just uh, you know exponentially reaching more than thousands of crs right worth of transactions on a monthly basis the second one i think has been just awakening to the possibilities of uh payment methods so for example let us say if i am an e-commerce company and i want to accept payments from people in tier three tier four cities i don't now i don't need to now rely on uh, them owning a debit card or card. as long as they have a up handle configured i can just go ahead and uh, get them like so that's i think a major benefit from a uh, coverage right coverage of customers point of view yeah these are of two major blocks to but aware. I
0: think you uh, also when it comes to technology aided financial transactions, there are several pitfalls too what what would you see as the pitfalls in the UPI
1: Sure, sure so you mean pitfalls in terms of like the current design and how it could have been done better or more no like I mean some... I mean
0: there's the, the security issues for example it, it's not sure. it's not a flawless system right it's it's not all road sure, design, sure, sure. so yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely, no. Absolutely, I think no. Like neither is you know, any other the system, right? So every system has, if, and this is a natural cycle, right? I think uh, you look at technology. I've been in the tech ecosystem. I'm sure you've been in the tech ecosystem, right, for a very long time. Uh, you would agree that there is probably an S curve kind of a growth, right? That every tech sees you reach a pinnacle, and then there are some flaws that come in. You improve again, you know, and keep on improving. So it's like an S curve going on an upward slope, right on a upwards slope. Right? That's pretty much how UPI has been right? So I remember in twenty fourteen, fifteen when UPI had come in, or rather UPI concept paper had come in, uh, it seemed far-fetched that you know all the banks will come together on a common common protocol right? <laughs> and implement this system uh, across country, right? Uh, but yeah, you know, thanks to RBI of course pushing the banks and then you know, NPCI delivering a great product, it eventually happened. And the first version was very buggy. There were only you know three, four banks that were live. And as you can imagine, some of the largest banks were the latest, like last adopters, right? So you have you had SBI, HDFC at the end, you know, of UPI. So I think every, really, just like every other tech, it has gone through its own, you know, improvement cycles, iteration cycles as well. For example, right now the common, the common, I would say, mistakes that happen, the common security flaws that are there, they are purely social engineering flaws, you know, like people exploiting each other's UPI or just sending a QR code for receiving money rather than sending money, you know, those kind of right, uh, errors that keep on happening, which is a good sign in the sense that the code tech is not compromised. It's actually the behavior of people that has to be optimized. right? So now it's more about education. Uh, okay, the Tech is strong. How do we really educate these people to use it in the right way? You know? And uh, same thing, right? Same way we got educated over five ten years that you should not share OTPs. Same way now people are being educated that, hey, you should not share your MPINs, you know, those kind of things. So, so I think it's, it's pretty much those last mile, you know, social, I would say, educational aspects of it. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Now, Rohit, uh, you know, the UPI is a single ID that allows users to transfer yeah. money through several apps. Now, have yeah. we seen such a thing anywhere else in the anywhere else in the world? And
1: how is the Indian service unique? Right. Yeah, it's actually one of the earliest. Uh, interestingly, uh, till when UPI came out, we were, I believe, one of the only ones. You know, that had the system across the world, uh, of course. Banning the wallets, which is not technically bank-to-bank. And many countries have wallets, of course, where you can send from just one single identifier, but ultimately the money remains outside the bank. Like it's
0: Correct. Bank. And also with uh, UPI, I think you can use several apps, whereas with a wallet,
1: you use just exactly. that wallet. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So I think that interoperability has been very unique. The closest that comes to mind is probably Singapore now, right? With uh, PayNow, which is... What they've implemented and again, Paynow has been there for a while, but just the interoperability aspect of Paynow, you know, with other apps as well as with UPI that's something which is fairly unique. So, they are probably the second one, you know, in this region to catch up to India. Yeah,
0: and I think we just had an agreement with them to have interoperability between UPI and uh, Paynow. Also, Rohit, the uh, COVID would have spurred the uh, UPI adoption, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, we ourselves, of course were born in COVID as a company, right? Um, so decentrove started pretty much when the pandemic was coming in three years ago and uh, got incubated by Combinator you know, race capital, all that's happened during COVID. And yeah, we saw it firsthand, you know, how like how fast the volumes grew, right? And how fast the demand grew. Um, not just on payments, but obviously across the entire banking stack, yeah, for sure.
0: And what are the macro factors driving UPI adoption?
1: I think they- Covid for sure. That's that's I would say definitely a large factor uh, you know, outside the economy. But definitely something that really impacts the economy massively. From an economic standpoint, just the aspect of digital India, right, the whole ambit of digital India that uh, India has embarked upon in the last ten years, that has helped a lot, right. So if you look at, it's not just uh, individuals that are adopting UPI. It's also companies that are adopting. And I, I mean, companies adopting amongst themselves, like people companies paying each other to... B2B so, transactions. Small, say, right. exactly, exactly. And that gets rid of, right? Consumers are not aware of it. It's like completely a black box for them. But it's a massive, massive industry uh, in the back end. So I think that's one thing which is really spurred you The second is just our, with the way our, I would say, political outlook is. Right? The way, I would say, our government is right now emphasizing a lot of these foreign relations, like the way we are making sure that, say... We are put in a good light, right, when it comes to all our neighbors, um, of course, all the other countries pretty much that we meet with, and wherever we have bilateral ties with, which it turn is helping, you know, after the months that, okay, UPI is, like I would say, one of the key innovations to come out, right, from the country. And other countries are definitely keen to adopt it. And many of them have praised it publicly, right? I think you might have read Google CEO praising it publicly, right, in the U.S. Senate. So that, I think that is setting a very great benchmark for UPI overall. So that's the second major macro effect right, that's happening. And third is the increasing penetration of these uh, cross-border transactions. Right? Cross-border has been, I would say, a very ignored kind of a subject in the sense that it has been a very complex kind of a domain for a long time. But it's becoming simpler by the day. Like today, for example, it's fairly drastically simpler for me, or at least 10x simpler for me to send money to a contact in UK as compared to 10 years ago. Okay? And... Because it is drastically simpler, what's happening is even more people are becoming aware that, okay, hey, this is how the engine system works, like, which, of course, has UPI as at the center of the right? so yeah.
0: And you, while you briefly touched upon this, I want you to unpack this a little more. Why is UPI important for the bottom of the pyramid?
1: I think a great way to understand it is with probably an example, right? So let's take a person from the bottom of the pyramid, right? Let's take a migrant labeler who has migrated to Delhi or any one of these tier tier two, tier one cities. And uh, yeah, he now has to make transactions using whatever daily wage he gets. Before UPI, I would say the only two ways of doing it was one of course cash. And the second was going to say some banking correspondent or some direct money transfer agent sitting in that city and actually giving him uh, loading the wallet, and then sending money back. Right? So there are two aspects. One is, of course, his daily life, and second is him sending money back to his house. And both are equally important for him uh, you know, from a long-term perspective. With UPI, he's able to solve for both. Right? That's that's why it's so powerful. So one, for his daily sound now he can literally use, say, an alarm Biometric, or like, of course, most of the people now have very simple smartphones as well. It's very cheap right? to own a smartphone, link through his smartphone directly, or ask this DMT agent as well, right, to link his UPI or you know, create his UPI for him. Uh and one and it's a one-time effort, right? So it takes like a few minutes, but once it's done, it's done. And then he's able to literally replace cash of course everywhere across the ecosystem. Right? So now he's able to accept money using UPI digitally, pay money with UPI locally you know, for his daily life, as well as send money back right, uh, to his house. Um because most of the evidences are you know, sub one lakh. Um, so that way, I think now, if you look at it from that perspective, the bottom of the pyramid literally has become independent in the sense that now this person is not dependent on an external party to live his daily financial life, right? He's like completely independent. He can decide exactly how he wants to run, you know, his money, when he wants to spend, where he wants to spend, and literally everybody will accept you, right? So he's not limited in terms of scope and he's not limited in terms of you know, any dependence on uh, like, crutch and something else. That is what is really empowering. Yeah, for that's why it's super important
0: for the bottom of the hmm. yeah and uh, you know, according to a study by the center for economics and business research committees commissioned by aci worldwide the real-time payments resulted in cost savings of 12.6 billion dollars for indian businesses and consumers in 2021 and this helped unlock 16.4 billion dollars of economic output which represent i think 0.56 percent of our gdp or the output of 2.5 million workers Talk us through how this efficiency is delivered.
1: I think one is uh, one example which I gave you is you know this uh, the whole domestic money transfer scene, right? So I'll give you an example. So there is uh, we at the just to give you a very brief view on that, we have APIs, UPI APIs as well, or later time money transfer APIs, so to say, uh, which allow these domestic money transfer agents to transfer money okay? uh, from bank rate to bank. Rate. And uh, the way typically these these DFT agents or banking correspondents work uh is they accept money into a wallet, say so like an integral SQL account, and from which the money gets sent right to a destination. Uh, and they make a small cut out of it, which is giving you like convenience you know, of loading your money and selling. Just because now we have real time payments, they are they don't have to rely on a bank statement or say do a daily reconciliation, which used to consume a lot of maps. So the view perspective for real-time deals, this DMT agent or this say, shop owner had to call up you know, somebody and check for, Hey, has the money come in the next day? Right. That's one. Or, which is fairly common in large, especially these uh, trade organizations and organizations with a lot of manpower. They have these accountants which dedicatedly do daily or monthly accounting. Like they literally go through, you know, these sheets, uh, Excel sheets or spreadsheets and just check, okay, Hey, uh, where's the money? Where is it, you know, where is it bond? Um, basically human accounting. And this consumes not only like manpower, it also consumes resources in terms of money, like activity, you're spending money on these guys. Uh that's that's the I would say number one efficiency that has been taken off the charts, right? So now I don't really need an accounting team or I don't really need to check my bank statements, you know, ask somebody to check my bank statements. Please real-time, I know the money has been paid. I get an SMS, so I get a confirmation on my application, right? So that's that's really how this efficiency is getting delivered, both on a consumer level, as well as a business. Okay? Now, we can extrapolate this at, say, large aggregate e-commerce transactions. Let us say, you know, we are Amazon or Flipkart. Now, an Amazon or Flipkart, before real-time payments, had the same problem. And so they also had to wait for, say, card settlements to come in, in the next day. right? And they also have like massive accounting team just waiting for this reconciliation to be completed. Right? Uh, and by the way, reconciliation is um, like such a huge problem that people like literally large e-commerce companies, most of them have shared it publicly as well. They bleed money on a monthly basis due to purely poor reconciliation. You know, like money got missed out and it never got reconciled properly. And then somebody has, next time somebody was got less. You know? These are things which real-time problems solve for. So real-time problems solve for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that is you know we often talk about ease of doing business, but this is actually ease of consumption, also. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What about the aspects? uh, What about its impact on government service delivery? Is there an implication there?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Subsidies is a great example there, right? So, um, so we've talked about this private side now from a subsidy perspective, right? The same, the same migrant labor example. uh, Just him receiving. That capital into his account though, has become so simple that he just needs to give his identifier either UPID or number if he's, say, using the Aadhaar enabled payment system, which is also a great, uh, pretty much real time money movement enabler. So, given that that has become, like, from a, from a consumption standpoint on the private side, similarly on the receiving standpoint, uh, from, an, from a subsidy side, right, it is almost equivalent to just say, remembering one single ID and it's sharing to the government and okay, hey, everything that I need can just be sent to this particular ID and can be sent to this particular account. Uh, and for the government, again, okay, the reconciliation from a, you know, a month-end standpoint or a daily standpoint becomes equally simple as well. Right? That's the efficiency that's coming in yeah, on the subsidy level as well.
0: Now, what about the sensitivity of the individual's information, privacy concerns, I know we touched upon that briefly earlier, but if you could detail that a bit,
1: yeah. Actually, I think UPI, if you look at it, right, the good thing is it does not expose your account number or say your mobile number directly. Right? So most people confuse it, you know, by thinking that okay, UPI actually is making it easier for actors to access it. Right? It only makes it easier if you know you're not smart enough to figure out okay how to share, for example, the you know how to use your endpoint. So as long as you follow the basic hygiene practices in terms of just maintaining your account, that's all, that's all that is required from a security standpoint. For example, if I do appear to be a transaction with you right now, I think the only thing that you will see in your uh, receipt will be my name and my UPI. Right? And that does not like allow anybody to do anything with my account. It just allows people to send them. It. Uh, and it's the bare minimum personal information right, that can be shared uh, from an individual standpoint. Uh, as compared to a bank transfer, right? In a bank transfer, so you actually are able to make out the full bank account number as well, right? Of the person. So I think that way, as I said, right, since it's an abstraction built by NPS protocol, it actually is exposing less information at a personal level. And that's why it's actually more secure, yeah, from a security standpoint.
0: Rohit, it is estimated that India's digital payments industry will grow to more than 300% of its current size by 2025. What do you think that landscape will look like?
1: I think 2025 is fairly close, right? So if you look at it, the key thing that's going to be prominent, right, in the next two years, one is, of course, just people adopting UPM more and more, which is already happening. Interestingly, it's also happening across instruments. Like, for example, a lot of people are not aware that they can now link their overdraft account or loan account as well, right? Or say a credit card, right? So starting with UPM credit card, you can actually link your credit card to a UPM. What that means is I can actually use the same UPI instead of swiping my data, right? I'll still get the benefits of the credit in the back end. So it's almost as good as credit on UPI right? through a different channel. Um, think this is going to be increasingly common. Like this is one major thing which I see, that is people adopting credit on UPI or like more form factors on UPI as compared to simple UPI savings, right? which is already happened for a while. Uh, UPI Autopay is a great example there. Right? So people subscribing to, say, newspapers, to your, you know, regular Doodwala, you know, Iron guy, Utility bills. Any regular Exactly, right? Uh, just subscribing to UPI Autopay and then forgetting it. Like, like, just the money gets keeps on getting it, Right. So I think that's another level of convenience that's going to like, become so common in the next two years. And then I think the third thing, which will be very interesting is, of course, depending on how cost countries adopt it, but but uh, mm-hmm. using this UPI is a think mm-hmm. Me actually using UPI in Singapore, in France, you know, in Egypt, whatever, yeah. That's what it would be, it
0: So almost like a global, you know, payment system. Yes. That <laughs> <you. Absolutely. laughs> so I ought to actually come back to the bit about rural India and this time I just want to shift the question a little bit. Sure. Is UPI changing the way rural India accesses banking and financial services? Uh, if yes, how? And if not, how do you see it happening going forward?
1: It is, but not at the pace at which we think it is. So, I think, of course, we covered the examples of you know how the migrant laborer benefits from it. But if I look at, say, a regular rural, like rural person who's sitting at home, sitting in his village and going about his daily life, for him to really get impacted by UPI, he has to first, of course, get educated you know, on say, how to adopt it in the first place. And that's where government and, of course, uh, RBI and PCI have pushed a lot in terms of multiple methods of adopting UPI. Right? So, for example, one is the common method that you, know, you and I know, which is just downloading an app, setting it up on the phone, using your debit card, etc. It's easy for us because you know, we have been using these kind of apps for a while, but it's not easy for somebody who the rural India. And that's where either they have to say be assisted in that journey. And that's where DFT agents help. Okay. So there are a lot of these DMT agents, banking correspondents, uh, and even the local bank RMs, which actually help these consumers you know, access UPI, set up UPI for the first time. Uh, so that's definitely a, an uphill climb. It's not it's not going to be, I would say, like a stick, you know, when it comes to rural India. It's going to take a while for them to get used to it because it's like it's a completely new form factor you know, for them. The second way they are help, they're they getting help is the Alhar-enabled payment system, you know, just like using Alhar, registering for UPI, yeah, then access it. So these are two form factors, but once the form factor is done, the second thing, which is critical, which really makes sure that UPI gets embedded in the daily life is your habit, like how habitual are you, you know in using UPI and what's the kind of daily spend you do, right? And that's where the appellation line, of course, is longer because... Once you do that, like there are not many avenues in the Google you know, landscape to actually use UPA. So, of course, unless they actually go outside into you know, a city and then they have to pay somewhere uh, or they're shopping for something, which is, again, not that common yet. So, unless those side services increase, which is because consumption, spending, you know, avenues increase, uh, it will take a while you know, for UPA, of course, to get penetrated at that level. So, it's going to be like... A cheaper and situation, and that's where it's very important for both sides. You know, I would say, cycle to move together. The spending avenues have to reach there, and as well as you know, these pushes from adoption or that the form factor of you know just adopting UPI has to be there as well. Yeah, it has to go hand in hand. That's our story. Really good.
0: Tell us about Decentro. How did it happen? What has been its journey so far?
1: Yeah, so Decentro basically put you know we are a financial infrastructure enabler. so. What we do is we help companies adopt fintech solutions, integrate with banking solutions, uh, in very simple APIs and SDKs. You know, for example, if you are a gaming company or if you are a lending company, right, you need some sort of real-time payments protocol or real-time payment APIs, right, to process, collect money, uh, settle money, you know, and all those things. That's the lower level, and then, of course, as you go up in the value chain. Uh, at some point of time, you also need banking solutions like credit. You might want to issue cards, you know, different kind of things. As well. um, so that is essentially what we do. So we are, I would say, in a way, uh, building this foundation for companies to embed finance and banking. It's been now little under three years uh, overall as a company, and uh, yeah, you know, we started of course during the pandemic. Uh, has been a very, very, very interesting journey. You're uh, seeing this entire last two years right, of hyper growth. Uh, right, in the ecosystem, uh, and we've grown really well as well. Uh, we process millions of transactions pretty much on a weekly basis uh, across UPI, IMPS, a bunch of protocols. Um, and we have, I think, close to now three hundred fifty companies using us uh, across India. Uh, these are both fintechs, non-fintechs uh, who are trying to use financial solutions. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's been now I think, over three, two series of funding, uh, Series A, which is closed, and uh, looking at it scaling up the ecosystem now further from say 350 to like thousand companies
0: So Rohit here's a question I ask all my guests at the end of the show.
1: Why do you do this work? <laughs> sure. Uh, I think of course different people have different reasons of you know starting out or like solving a problem. It has been uh, like it's a personal problem that I want to solve, uh just like the previous company. Right? So uh to give you a background, um the previous company Bipolin which was there started in 2014 15 we had the same problem of integrating these payments APIs from the banks. Right? And we were consuming something from a private sector bank uh, in 2015. And I remember it took us six months just to integrate that API and whole life. You know? So that was like an uh, initial trigger for me that, okay, it's, it's fairly complex. It's not that easy as it seems. And then fast forward to 2019, 20, when this company got acquired by a large group, uh, PayU. I was handling a similar integration for PayU. Uh, back in the day. And I noticed that those guys took, like, as we as a team took uh, eight doing a similar integration with a different micro. And that was my like, final trigger where it dawned upon me it's, it's like not just a problem that small companies face, it's also a problem that every large company faces as well. And yeah, you know, you know, we want to solve it for ourselves, why not solve it for the world and we'll build a company on it. So that's essentially how these improvements.
0: Rohit, thanks so much for being on the show and helping us understand UPI better.
1: Right, for sure. Happy to help. And uh, yeah, for people that want to, you know, interact more with Decentro, learn more about us, of course, use any of our services, you know, just drop us a hi on you know, hello at Decentro.tech or personally to me at rohit.decentro.tech. Always happy to help. Thank
0: you. Thank you all for listening. Please visit allindiansmatter.in that's a double dot rin for more columns and audio podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter. At staff Engineer, that's A S H R A F E N G I N W E R and All Indians Count, that's A-L-L-I-N-D-I-A-N-S-C-O-U-N-T. Search for the All Indians Matter page on Facebook. On Instagram, the handle is All Indians Matter. Email me at editor at allindiansmatter.in. Catch you again soon.